0: Hello and welcome to Drive Talking, the new motoring podcast with me, Neil Briscoe. And joining me today, as ever, is the glorious Caroline Kidd, who is sitting in front of her shiny new microphone. Caroline, let us hear what you really sound like.
1: I am so happy to have my new microphone because I won't sound like I'm on another planet anymore.
0: It sounds rich and warm in my ears like fine honey. And speaking of fine honey and other fine things there's a fine honey sitting just to my left and it is dara otuma dara hello neil briscoe i'm just so happy i don't have a cup of tea in my hand at the moment or a cup of
2: coffee or a glass of beer or something like that because you you've made me break my bollocks laughing at least twice in the last two minutes alone so uh, my apologies i'm <laughs> cursing already and this is why we are
0: in inexplicit- Can we explicit can we say can we say bollocks on this podcast? Because I, I could say that quite a lot.
1: Never mind the bollocks.
0: <laughs> Neil Neil, I I have
2: set standards. When you started? <laughs> I, I have set standards. I started a six one. pistols revival. Never mind it. All right, um, Neil Briscoe and Caroline Kid. Caroline, as Neil said, that is a great looking microphone, and I'm delighted you got it. Um, good work. Uh, delighted for you. Listen, folks, it's been a really interesting week in the motoring world but before we get to that i'm, I'm just gonna I, I want you both to do this as well if you could take your right hand or your left hand right and just raise it up and then slap yourself on the back twice okay because this week we have made the charts okay this is absolutely fantastic news folks uh drive talking is in the charts it's number one the motor uh podcasts or automotive podcasts in apple in ireland number two in the leisure Uh, charts um on apple in ireland number 51 in the charts in germany for automotive
0: and yes caroline
2: caroline we have not broken the news to you yet but it's number 54 in the automotive charts in canada
1: all right fantastic i always wanted to be in the top 54 (laughs) podcasts in canada Our
0: home and native land. We love Canada. I genuinely love Canada. I love going to Canada. It's it is literally the coolest country in the world. Neil couldn't agree with you more. I got engaged in Canada. Uh,
2: Did you really? And can anyone guess where it was?
0: Niagara Falls.
2: There you go. Caroline Kidd,
0: yes, I am a cheesy man who you goes to old cheesy old places. Egg, did you did a good old romantic, Darren. Did you take off your glasses and reveal yourself to be Clark Kent? Because that seems to be what's supposed to happen at Niagara Falls. No, no,
2: what actually happened was, Neil, I was wearing one of those blue uh, wetsuits. You know, it's a bit of plastic that you throw over yourself because you get drenched in. Yeah, I looked really attractive. Um, kind of, yeah, okay, let's move on before I say a little bit too much. Um, folks, there was loads of motor news this week and uh, I've taken out a few snippets for us to, um, I suppose, ponder over the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes or there, thereabouts. Coming up a little bit later on as well, I know that Neil and Caroline were both at the launch of the Dacia Dacia, whatever way you want to pronounce it, jogger during the week. And we do have an interview with Paddy McGee and Mr. Warnock from uh, Dacia itself. But we get to that a little bit later on. Before we get to that, though, Neil, I have to start off, Neil and Caroline, I have to start off with some motor bits I saw during the week. So I picked some of the bits that I thought were kind of interesting. So the first one, I suppose... Uh, it's one that's just up for discussion, okay? Uh, I read during the week on Forbes magazine, as well as BBC and other places as well, that Elon Musk is back again. No, not just about buying Twitter, but about the robo-taxi, Tesla's robo-taxi. And rumor has it, it may be on the streets by 2024. Now, whether or not that's actually (laughs) going to happen, we're going to wait and see. But I suppose the opening question, is it realistic considering that Google have been sending around driverless cars for years? Is this actually in our near future as opposed to our future? Caroline, Kate, I'm going to throw to you first.
1: Well, you know, when I looked at the agenda for today and I mean, self-driving taxis, well, it reminded me over time I was in Heathrow Airport and I was on one of those little pods um, going from Terminal 5. So I mean, to get something like that to work, though, 2024 would be a very short space of time. So I think it's on the optimistic side, but I, it's something it's right up Tesla Street, isn't it?
2: It absolutely is. There there are certainly innovators, Neil. And I saw that Neil was laughing a lot while I was giving my commentary on Robotaxi. But come on, this guy, Elon Musk is an innovator. Have a look at SpaceX, have a look at the solar or whatever you call it, Sun City or whatever you call the actual solar program that he's running and everything else like that. Yes, some of them fail, but for the most part, the guy is working on trying to send somebody to the moon at the moment. And he's just bought Twitter, which is even more fascinating. Neil Briscoe, your thoughts on Robotaxi?
0: Okay, first start. He's not an innovator. He's an investor. He buys other people's ideas and makes helps to make them successful. That's what he's done with Tesla. That's what he's done with SpaceX. That's what he's done with all his, his companies. Um, Robo taxis by twenty forty four. Hell no. Good grief. We're not even close. Yet yeah, they do work in very strictly geo-fenced areas, and generally speaking, where they work is in America, in places like California and Nevada, where you have 300 odd days of sunshine and clear skies a year. There is no way in, in heaven or on earth that a robo-taxi is going to be carrying you up the N17 from Galway. In two years' time, because it just will not cope with those conditions.
2: Oh, okay. Well, look, there's absolutely no doubt that it's not that it's definitely not going to be here in Ireland by 2024. Uh, we have legislation issues and everything else like that to look at. Like, as far as I'm aware, legislation doesn't even allow for a driverless car. And as far as I'm aware, you're not even allowed to use your uh, driver assist systems within cars in Ireland legally at the moment. So, for example, if you if you go into a uh, Volvo S90 with its, uh, you know, your 20 seconds work you're allowed or you're not allowed you're able to take your hand off the wheel and it'll steer for you or whatever you're technically not even allowed to use that but in places as you said like ring ring fenced places uh, around the US where Google have been trying their autonomous driving for years in places like that like I mean the technologies there may not be perfect and we're in 2022 now who knows where
0: we're going to be by 2024 we're not going to be driving around in driverless taxis. I'll tell you that much. No, we're not. I mean, the technology is creeping along. Uh, it's been been promised for the last what seven, eight, maybe even ten years. And it's just not there. And it's way, way harder to do than anybody thought going in. So the thing is, people tend to pop up and start waving their arms around and going, hey, look over here, self driving cars, robo taxis. It's mostly a way to bump up their stock price. It's mostly because Wall Street loves nothing better than a big tech innovation to throw money at. And if you do that, then you'll get some cash. But the problem is that, you know, statements like that aren't given under oath, so to speak. So you don't actually have to deliver on it, and it won't get delivered on. So I'm pretty confident in saying we are not going to have robotaxis in any widespread sense by 2024.
1: I'll second that. I'll second that. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Neil said.
2: Well, listen. Here, here's kind of hoping because look, uh, what was that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger all those years ago? And I, for some reason, Total Recall. Right? That's what's Total Recall. My, total Recall. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's com- get completely in the mind. Yeah, there you go. Look, all these coincidences, right? The man's trying to get everyone to Mars. He's inventing mm-hmm. robo taxis. And um, you know what, what's coming next? We'll wait I- and see.
1: I'd rather he sorted out the ride comfort in the Model Y before he oh, does oh. robo taxis. Yes.
2: <laughs> and that reminds me, folks, coming up a little bit later on, Caroline Kidd will be reviewing the Tesla Model Y, the last part of S3XY. I love the way he does that with his cars. I thought that was very funny. OK, let's move on. Right. Last week, uh, after the long weekend, uh, just before, um, actually, it was a week and a half ago. Uh, I set up an Alexa for somebody in their house, okay? Uh, Now, I didn't have an Alexa. In fact, to be honest with you, I was one of these people that said, no way, I'm never going to get one of those things, can listen to everything that I say. And then I picked up my phone and went, wait a minute, that can listen to everything I say. So I bought myself two Alexas in the house, okay? One for the kitchen and one for another part of the house. Fantastic. Then I'm reading during the week. Let's go to our rolling out. There, I'm describing it as an Alexa equivalent, which is their Laura. Uh, Caroline Kidd, have you heard anything about this during the week?
1: So it's already in their cars that it will respond to commands of, okay, Laura. And then you can ask a question. You can say, I'm cold, and she'll make it warmer in the car and things like that. So you find a lot of systems like that in cars. But now it's being rolled out to, Their websites. And on Skoda Ireland's website, there is a chatbot called Laura available there already. So she's already here, but it doesn't respond to voice because I was trying it this afternoon and that doesn't seem to be working yet. But you can type in questions and she'll help you find the right Skoda. You can ask questions about electric vehicles. So it's just like a little chatbot at the moment on the Skoda Ireland website.
2: It, it it sounds to me like utter bollocks. Let's go back to that word from a little bit earlier on. Like, I mean, look... Look, sorry, I'm not trying to give out a bit Scottie because this is in every bloody car. It's probably on its way to every car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what's the, what's the point? Like, I mean, do you really need the good, like, will it, okay, in the car, not on the website, in the car, if I was turning around and say, okay, Laura, what do you call that actor that was in 48 Hours uh, back in 1982 or 1983? Okay, uh, will it spit back? Uh, do you mean Eddie Murphy or Nick Nolte? Um, is this effectively Alexa? Is it going to answer silly questions that you can kind of, hold off until you can answer. Neil Briscoe.
0: Yeah, some of them will. Some of them will actually, if you say if you say something really arcane like that, to them, they'll go off and, and do a Google search for whatever you've just asked them. And then they'll come back to you and say, I have searched the internet for you, my master, and found these things. <laughs> uh, but to be honest, they're, they're bloody useless. I mean, the two most useless options in cars at the moment are voice control and gesture control. Because voice Control never understands a word you say, and inevitably your kids start shouting at it when you tr- when you're trying to use it, and it just gets confused and says, "I did not understand what you just said. Please remove yourself from the vehicle and insert someone who makes sense to me." Um, and and gesture control is the other useless one, which in which you waggle your hand around in front of a screen and it does absolutely nothing. So um, don't buy those things, kids. They're useless and rubbish, and you'll be wasting your money. And you could have bought a house if you hadn't specified voice control.
2: Uh, just to point out for people and unfortunately we're not on video yet we will be one day okay right Uh, you may not want to see that but we will one day be on video podcast right but gesture control uh, last time I used it I think was within a BMW where you take let's say your index finger and you'd make a circular motion to the right or clockwise um, to turn up the volume uh, anti-clockwise to turn down the volume Uh, you take two fingers and flick left if you want to move on to the next channel and right if you want to move back to the previous channel that type of stuff um, and yeah, and plus you have to do it with your left hand if you were driving a car in ireland which is awkward because most of us are right-handed so it probably works better somewhere else i don't know um caroline your thoughts on let, let's say gesture control
1: oh well it's just a bit silly isn't it you might as well if you're going to you know t- turn the volume up on the stereo just turn the dial <laughs> or the, the press the buttons on the steering wheel you know, it looks ridiculous as well. Um, so, I suppose they use it as a as a as a the latest new feature. But in practical terms, you don't actually need it.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this stuff actually sells cars, but then again, I might, I, I suppose it, it's it's a bit like everyone likes something clever, right? Now go back to Skoda on this one, right? Do you remember when we all found out for the first time that there was an umbrella in the door in the Skoda, which I'm sure was taken from Rolls-Royce way back when or something like that, but they have all these simply clever things. Like my, particular, my personal favorite is the bottle cup holder uh, where you put your contour bottle within the cup holder itself and it's got these little rivets pointing up that grasp onto the bottom, of it, which means you can open it with one hand while you're driving and not worry about the coke going all over the place or whatever it is. Coca-Cola is what I'm talking about there. Neil, don't look at me funny. Okay. Um, So everyone likes little clever bits, but sometimes it just goes a little bit too far. I suppose something great to show off. It's like, okay, it's, great that you have a BMW and all the rest, but look what my Beamer can do. Um, That type of thing. So I don't know. Listen, I want to move on to Polestar. We gave it a lot of uh, airtime last week. Um, We were talking about the launch of the Polestar 2 and looks by all, all accounts an incredible car. But one thing that surprised me today, and I suppose once again, it's because... As I kept describing myself last week, I'm a bit of a spare tire. I'm not a a motor journalist as such anymore. Um, But when I read about kind of mid-cycle updates on the Polestar 2 already, I was slightly
0: surprised. Um, Are we very late to the races with the Polestar 2? yeah it's it's been on sale in other major european markets for just over a year now already so hence why uh the updates are coming in just as the brand is arriving here but actually to be fair we're not getting the updates we've already got the updates the cars that were launched in ireland are the updated models Great. so there's there's kind of no major change for anybody in ireland who's thinking about buying a polestar so uh, so that's good uh, and it's good that they're, you know, they're, they're doing this thing of using low carbon aluminium and, uh, low carbon, uh, battery tray and wheels and things like that. So they're talking about saving, so just over a thousand, nearly a thousand, nearly 1500 kilos of CO2 per car in production, something like that, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's no major change. It's, it's, it's tweaks and, and stuff kind of happening in the background, but, uh, Uh, it's good to see the kind of the the focus on low carbon production Okay and then final bit of
2: news this week was the all new Amarok uh, Volkswagen Amarok Uh, everyone loves a good pickup truck Um, but the Amarok is going to be all new Uh, Caroline or Neil have either of you got any information on this
1: Well, the Amarok is a favorite of yours, isn't it,
2: Dara? I, I love the Amarok. I I truly love that vehicle. Like, I, I, But I'm also a massive fan of the F-150. So anytime I go over to the States, I'm like, rent me one of those bad boys. Uh, which I believe, <laughs> by the way, they're making an all-electric version of that at the moment as well, which would be fascinating. So next time I go over, I definitely want to test drive that if I ever get, my, get over there again, who knows. But Caroline, what news have you got? What news?
1: So it's still in camouflage, the photos I've seen. Yeah. Do you know anything more about it, Neil? Um,
0: well, not visually, other than that they they released a few sketches. Was it late last year, earlier this year? Uh, and yeah, the photos they've shown just this week are all camoed up, which is weird because it, it it's basically it's a new Ford Ranger with a Volkswagen badge on it. I mean, not quite that simple. They are doing their own styling. But I mean, ultimately, that's what it is. It's it's co-production with Ford. It's been built in the same factory in South Africa as the Ford. So I don't know why they're being so coy. uh, Because the range has already been released in full. We know what that looks like. We've seen the interior, all that kind of jazz. So yeah, VW are really, really milking this and stretching it out. But I mean, it looks like it's going to be... Hugely impressive. Again, it's going to have more space in the cab. because It's got slightly longer wheelbase. You can put more payload in the load bed. It's up to 1.2 tons. Uh, They said there's going to be one petrol and three diesel options initially, and that they are working towards a fully electric version, uh, which... Uh, it's probably at least two to three years away, but uh, but it's been a big success when they sold nearly you know, knocking on for a million of them around the world since they launched the first gen one. So it's quite it's quite an important vehicle for for, for VW.
2: It, it's it's um I, I love a good pickup. I'd like I really yeah. do. I really love a good pickup truck, and I love the Hilux for that reason. And I'm even going to go as far as to say I used to love the uh, Corando Sport. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I I knew that would get a giggle. Um, we, we, which is now called. We we no longer have our own name for that. What's the What's the name for now?
0: I have completely oh. forgotten because Yong is so mm. not on my radar these days. Uh, hang on, man. Look something up on internet. It was okay. The well, you well you
2: wasn't there. The, exa- mm. Was it the Muso? Was the Muso? That's exactly it. I think you're right. Did they I think bring you're back right? the Muso name? I, yes, I think so. So they moved it back from Crando Sport to what it was everywhere else yep. in the world. So there you go. go. Nice call, yep. Caroline. Kid, great work. Okay. um, once again this week, so we move off the news. And um, once again this week, uh, we all three of us uh, we put requests out on Twitter. Um, and I've checked the feeds last time, maybe about an hour or two ago. Once again, I got no response. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you. Thank
1: you. I got I got no response either. It seems to me it's just down to our one influencer on the team, Neil Briscoe.
0: I have never influenced anybody to do anything, literally anything. Other yeah. than to avoid Other than to avoid me personally you know. Well well. anyway Neil Briscoe seems to be The popular one So
2: folks uh, It's at Neil M Briscoe uh, If you want to tweet Or give out Or do anything like that um, So anyway A good few questions came in And some that I yep. really Really liked And some that will Actually rise a nice Bit of discussion this week As it did last week as well There were some Great questions in last week So this week We're going to start off With something from uh, The car factoids And Neil This one's kind of pointed Towards you, okay. Now my screen's gone a little bit mad. There, I don't know why Paul started and all of a sudden coming up.
0: So, tempting- hello, a- hello, Andrew, because uh, Andrew is the guy who runs the Car Factoids. Okay, and by
2: the way, folks, if you are on Twitter, if you do like cars, and I'm assuming you do, if you're listening to this podcast great uh twitter handle to follow at car factoids or the car factoids um, I, i'm not sure what the handle is search for it you'll find it right it's fantastic uh, some nuggets and gems from history keep popping up in it as well so here's what he wrote tempting as it is to ask neil what his fav- about his favorite pie i guess i asked to follow the car or cars you like that you know isn't or aren't terribly good I say this given a liking of cars from certain manufacturer and I'll let Neil fill in the rest. So Neil, that one's pointed towards you.
0: Yeah, uh, Andrew, uh, like myself, has a a bit of a passion for the products of the 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 British Leyland Corporation, which for those of you not in the know, was an amalgamation of Austin, Morris, Rover, Jaguar, Land Rover, Triumph, Wolseley, Riley, and a few van and truck manufacturers back in the 60s and 70s, which was, it, it is the epitome of the, the sort of gross, colossal corporate behemoth that cannot maintain its own structure, and it all just fell into infighting and union strikes and, you know, innovation. I mean, this is the company that created the original Range Rover, um, but that just couldn't basically invent or design or engineer its way out of a paper bag and probably wouldn't even be able to make the paper bag in the first place. So um, there's a kind of backhanded affection for BL stuff. And we kind of look back on it with rose tinted glasses. Uh, But the one, the one car that came out of BL that I, Unabashedly love, in spite of the fact that it was utter crap, was the Rover ST1, which is was born the same year as me, 1976. It's that fastback shark nose one. Uh David Besch, the great uh, designer, uh, said he took inspiration from the Ferrari Daytona for the front end of it. And you can kind of see that if you squint a bit and maybe look at it through a filter or something. Um but it was supposed to be a rival to the likes of the the nascent BMW 5 Series and the Mercedes W123 E-Class and it was in spirit and it was lovely to drive and I got to drive one once I got to drive a Vitesse which is the performance one with the 3.5 V8 uh, and it was a Fabulous car to drive it. It it felt and sounded like a four-door Aston, four-door Aston Martin, but the quality was so bad that just like large bits would drop off at regular intervals. Um, and so very few people bought one and hence it it helped to precipitate the demise of British Leyland itself. Rover went on to Honda after that, didn't it? Uh, yeah, they—they. They, when did that happen? That started beforehand. That started in eighty-two or eighty-three with the first Triumph acclaim, yeah. that was based on a Honda Ballad. Uh, and then eventually when BL disintegrated and what was left was Rover Group. Then Rover was a partner of Honda for many years until BMW bought Rover Group, and this is now a really involved and in boring history of, of tired and, and uninteresting <laughs> British car brands. So feel free to tune out of this and pop along to a much more exciting podcast uh, and come back to us in five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> don't, touch, don't touch that dial folks um, so yeah uh, and you know the, what, the car that replaced the SD1 then was the, the the Rover 800 which was essentially a Honda Legend under the skin which was actually not a terrible car and the great Chris Pollitt uh, who you can find on Twitter who uh, writes for carandclassic.com or .co.uk um, actually possesses one of these things a Rover 800 Vitesse which I'm slightly jealous of because again it's a bit of a shite car that I have an affection for um, but yeah so it's the answer to Andrew's question is Rover SD1 but he knew that before he asked so that's
2: oh, okay oh hell yeah he did and o- often these questions are, are often that way uh, next one in is from Dara McKenna and Dara ask, it asks is the Lancia Thema the best car in the world like the way I said that in the world oh the silence speaks I, volumes
1: yeah. <laughs> it was like a Delta integrally, I'd say yes, but okay. Wow. I didn't even know what the theme was.
0: Wow, <laughs> okay. Tara, um, you you both, both, Daras, you know the answer to this, and the answer is no, no. <laughs> okay, now this, this is the question I've been really looking
2: forward to, right? Uh, which color do we not see nearly enough of on the road? Uh, this is from David Williams, by the way. He says, Matt. Gun metal grey or would it be metallic deep forest green or something else okay now before we get to that question right Neil I'd mention this to you off air right and Caroline I don't know if you remember this growing up um, but when I was a kid during the 1980s and the 1990s I used to go up to Donegal quite often so we, we'd go through Strabane up to Tyrone and then into um, or sorry Athenacloy to Straban then into Donegal itself so you'd be driving through the six counties in Northern Ireland And one thing I always noticed was, as soon as you went over the border, the colours of cars were completely different to what we had in the 26 counties. The reason probably being because what was imported into the Republic of Ireland would be completely different to the options that were available in the UK, let's say, as such. Um, Did anyone else notice that growing up, that our colour selection in the 26 counties of the Republic of Ireland
0: was very boring back in the 80s and 90s? Or is you it know, just me? You, know, you know why that is, don't you? Because there were so many, so many of the cars that I mean, up until the mid eighties, anyway. Because so many of the cars that we bought were built here, but the oh. the paint shops used to get supplied with paint in bulk, but generally in one color at a time. So you know, if they were they were building Toyotas down on the Killeen Road in Dublin, they were building Renaults over on the Carlmore Road. Oh no, sorry, the Renaults were down in Wexford. Fiat were on the Carlmore Road. Ford were down in Cork, obviously. And like, they just get a consignment of paint and it would be like, oh, okay, we're building blue cars this week and uh, next week we're building red, red cars or maybe, wow. you know, yellow cars a week after. So that that that's kind of how it worked. Uh, so yeah, they just, they just built built cars in bulk with one color because that's what they add in the paint shop. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I've now
2: learned something new. Caroline Kidd, in your opinion, is there any color that we're not seeing nearly enough of on the road?
1: Yeah, I'd love to see more yellow cars on the road and more orange cars. They're just bright and
2: happy. Do you know what? I'd agree with you on the yellow bit. And, and I suppose somebody actually commented on orange as well. I'll pull up the comment here if you bear with me. Uh, Luke Crowley says he loves the Mac, the Mach-y, the Mustang mach mm-hmm. GT Orange. I personally love the, I think it's canary yellow on the, the five litre um, uh, Mustang GT uh, 5.0. Uh, I think it's absolutely stunning color. So I'd agree with you there on yellow. Any other colors? Uh, like the ones given by David Williams are matte gun metal gray. I think that's been slightly overdone at the yeah. moment, unfortunately.
0: Too 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 much gray on the roads.
2: Yeah. there, uh, is, a, too, there is too much matte as well. Like everyone seems yeah. to be getting everything matted.
0: There is a correct answer to this question. Mm. It's purple. <laughs> purple cars are awesome. Purple cars are ten percent better than any other car. You don't <laughs> Is Honestly. that a science
2: scientific fact, Neil? Yeah, Is it's, it's just, c- just
0: just just facts. That's <laughs> just absolute There's, that's incontrovertible fact. I, I, I believe CERN in Geneva have investigated this and found they probably haven't. But okay. <laughs> um, no, BMW have uh, has a new color for the. New two series coupe, not the grand coupe four door front wheel drive thing, but the proper rear wheel drive two door one. And it's purple and it's called, wait for it, because I'm going to get closer to the mic to say this Thunder Night. (laughs) Thunder Knight is the best name for a paint option I have ever heard so I I think all all cars should be Thunder
2: Knight okay and that's the one I'm going to take Thunder Knight right what I'm going to do is I'm going to add reverb to that last Thunder Knight you said and it's going to sound so awesome when this goes out live it's going to be it's going to blow your mind (laughs) folks it's going to be amazing Um, okay Caroline Kidd I'm going to bring you in now again on this one here okay features versus benefits this from Colin Gilskis Sennon okay uh, I meet lots of folks whose first question is whether it has a reversing camera on a smallish car my question is how much time do you spend driving backwards how does a camera impact on a car versus how it's driven from Collingwood Sennon so effectively he's kind of uh, I, I'm guessing that he's kind of saying that you know Jesus folks like you're only reversing the odd time now what do you think of that
1: look they are useful I would say a lot of the cars that I'm test driving would have them. And I do find it's an extra little bit of reassurance. They're also good from a safety aspect if you're reversing in a car park and there's children around. You will see if there's, you know, there's that safety side to it as well. It gives you that extra bit of reassurance when you're reversing that everything's clear behind. But certainly in very small cars, like city cars, you don't need a reversing camera. But I think the larger cars and SUVs, I think it is good to have
2: one. I, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, but in my opinion, um, and I say that a lot, I'm really sorry, folks. But honestly, I believe some people are just really bad at driving and particularly bad at reversing. And Colin, no offense to you, like I, I take your point, but I have to throw it at you that some people are just terrible. And you know what? I wouldn't let them in my car to reverse but with a with a safety camera, you'd kind of hope that they'll do a better job. There are genuinely some people like that. Like, I don't think I'm saying anything scandalous by saying that, but I think it's a fact. And you can judge that by the amount of scrapes that people have to the rear bumper of the car, uh, to the rear side panel of the car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just rampant. <laughs> Neil, would you have any, any thoughts on uh, reversing cameras? Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't mind reversing cameras because they're not, a, they're not wildly expensive things. B, they don't add like massive amounts of weight to the car. And I'm I'm always a a, a what's whatever the what's the reverse of a fa- what's the inverse of fan and whatever the inverse of a fan is, I'm that of stuff that adds lots of weight to a car. Uh, I am the implacable enemy of such things. But uh, yeah, reversing cameras are fine as long as they have parking sensors as well because it's too easy to look away from the camera when you're reversing and forget how close you are to the thing behind you and this does not represent personal experience i'd like to legally say uh but it you know you need the sensors as well as the camera i think but i don't think it's just it's not just a big car small car thing i think it's it's hugely model dependent because it depends on the glazing area of the car, the shape, the styling, how good the rear visibility is. You can get some small cars that have shockingly bad rear visibility and conversely, you can get some quite big cars that are great and you can see all around it. Yeah, yeah, true that.
2: Okay, I think it's time to move on to a few car reviews. So uh, this week, uh, we know that the team have been out test driving some lovely cars, including the Toyota Camry. Uh, we'll talk about Neil's love affair with that in a few moments' time. But first off, we're going to start off with, um, I suppose, the Audi RS e-trim GT that Neil Briscoe was driving. And Neil, I got to tell you, a little bit jealous of this one, man. Uh, oh, expensive, I hope so. expensive. I I assume and presume. But uh, awesome at the same time.
0: I don't know. Yeah, yeah. In terms of expense, we're talking small house territory. The one that I'm driving has a few bits of equipment on it, and it is. Can we? Can we? Can we? Can we put in a drum roll at this point in yep. in FX? Okay, drum roll, and it's 160,000 euro. So it's Ooh. a stupidly expensive car. Mm. But it might just be worth it. It is <laughs> so freaking good. Okay. Did I do? Did say, I do my Robert? Did I do my Robert De Niro face as I said that? Because you you suddenly got very animated. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm gonna tr- throw. you talking in to a, my Audi? <laughs> I'm gonna throw in a
2: boomt after you said might be <laughs> worth it. Come on, man, 160 grand. Uh, yep. Now, look, I suppose if you had that type of money, but wow, but it, it's it's amazing, is not it?
0: Like, I mean, it, it is. What are we talking is, about? It is staggeringly good to drive now it weighs just over two ton and you think when you put it on a little tight twisty road that it's just going to be too heavy and it's going to go like a hippo on casters but it doesn't it's so good I mean it is as close as you can get to being lotus like with that kind of weight it is staggeringly responsive you turn the wheel and it as you do so, it feels like 500 kilos have fallen out the back of the car. It's that good. Um, it's good on range too. I mean, it, it's it, uh, realistic range with air conditioning going and stuff. It's about 400 kilometers, so it's not bad. And it charges up really quickly. If you can find a high-speed charging station, it'll charge at 270 kilowatts. So it just sucks in the the, the energy, which is a, is phenomenal. But
2: like finding finding that heights. Yeah charging facility would be very difficult there's not I, I've got a list of questions here that we kind of agreed with as a team Caroline, myself and Neil uh, there a few weeks ago type of areas that we cover in this uh, one one of the questions that
0: I have then here is what's wrong with it? Uh, it's it, it's a very big car with a very small cabin uh, I don't quite know how they'd manage that but it is quite tight in the back uh, and also it's not an estate which is always a, a that's a star off the review from me Um and you can buy that same pack because it's basically the same as a Porsche Taycan underneath and you can buy the Taycan as a Sport tourism estate. And I think Audi's missing a trick by not offering the GT as an estate.
2: And I was going to ask you, based on that, um, what rivals, but you're obviously saying Taycan's
0: a rival even though they're cousins. Yeah, Taycan and Tesla Model S. And I guess it kind of size wise, it kind of sits between the Mercedes EQS and the, the incoming new EQE, but it price wise, obviously, much more in EQS territory.
2: Okay, an absolutely stupid question now. Uh, I think
0: we put in the badoom-ts at this point. Should you buy one? Uh, God, yes. If, I mean, it's a Friday when we record this. So, you know, my Euro Millions ticket is sitting in my back pocket. And honestly, I will be running, not walking to the local Audi center on Tuesday because it's Bank Holiday Weekend, Tuesday morning, if my numbers come up, because it is that. Now, the only caveat I would add to that is that the standard and significantly cheaper, I mean, it's still over a hundred grand, so cheaper is a relative concept here. Uh, Audi e-tron GT, not the RS version, is... Pretty much as good, uh, for a good bit less money. If at that price level, you're actually worried about value for money.
2: You know that was the less, the least uh, believable, slightly not as good uh, that I've ever seen on your face. Rather than what I've heard, from what I've seen, now, folks, if only you could see Neil Briscoe's face right now. Um, okay, Caroline Kid, Caroline, I, I gotta play this. I gotta play this. Okay, so you so you you did two beep tests for us mm. this week. Well. <laughs> Okay, okay, we start out with the beep test. Okay, now you didn't hold it for three seconds. Very disappointed <laughs> with that. Okay. Uh, but now you also did us a complimentary fart test. Okay. Uh now, folks, this is the model Y, this is this is the Tesla model Y, not Caroline. It's not me, no. It's not Caroline. Okay, <laughs> right, let's play it.
1: My car can beep and fart this week.
2: Okay. Yes. Um. Okay. Why? So we we'll get back to the. Oh, beat it's test fun. The moment,
1: it's fun, isn't it? Imagine if you had your kids in the car and they're playing with that. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: giggled and I laughed every time I do it. I giggle and I laugh.
2: Yeah. And- Look! Look! It's it's kind of um you know look I've very much got a fart sense of humor like you know I, I'm all about the farts our house like it's all we talk about it's 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 fantastic but like I'm looking at this car that costs how much money, Caroline?
1: Oh well, it starts from <laughs> sixty six thousand euro nine hundred and ninety. So it is it's it's big money for this all electric midsize SUV from Tesla.
2: The farts. But it,
1: but it's a magnificent car
2: okay Um, tell tell us about the car what's good about the tesla model y
1: i think that the range is incredible the battery technology so it's 533 kilometers you're not worrying about plugging this car in all the time and charging it once it's got a full battery charge it, it gives you a lot of comfort um I think the design of the car is really cool as well. I really like it. I know some people are not keen on it, but I really like this Model Y. Then inside it's all very minimalist. So if you like having a laptop screen in the center of your car, you'll love the Tesla, Tesla Model Y and everything's controlled in the screen. And that's good and it's bad in that even if you want to adjust the door mirrors, And you're going to have to go into the screen and twiddle around with a few buttons. So that's a little bit awkward. Or if you're looking for the hazard lights quickly or something like that. But it's all very cool. It's nice to drive. The cars are all long range, all wheel drive models. So lovely grip.
2: Okay, so it's it's a driver's electric car. I want to ask you, Caroline, what's wrong with it?
1: I'm I think the ride comfort is not up to not up to a 70,000 euro car Um it's fine on the smooth roads but it just gets it bumps you it bumps you too much around for a, a 70,000 euro car it's quite stiff you'd accept that from a performance car but not from a family SUV now I do live in in rural Ireland so I'm on like quite quite a lot of bumpy roads but it was a little bit disappointing it's a bit the ride is a bit harsh in it, I think.
2: Can I ask you? Does it do the, the 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 silly, ludicrous? There you go. That's the right word for it. Does it do ludicrous or anything like that? Has it got the ludicrous control button inside of where you press it and you're going from zero to 100 kilometers Ooh. an hour in silly speeds, or is it kind of is that an extra extra optional extra that you can get for the higher package?
1: Well, it's very quick. and um, zero to 100 kilometers per hour is five seconds. Like this thing mm. will move. Even in a standard car, this thing will move very quickly. And I love that about it as well. There's no hanging around when you put your foot down.
2: Let, let, let's go back to your center console screen, okay? Um I'm, I'm assu- taking from what you said about you know, control the mirrors, et cetera, that's actually quite distracting uh, in terms of if you have to do anything technical with the car while you're driving. So, let's say, for example, as you mentioned there, to to change the 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 wing mirror in my car, I just press a little button while I'm driving. Just go Doop, on my with my right hand, and the mirror goes to where I need it. I think you need the. Is it a case of you'd want to pull over to find the setting within this uh, twelve inch or whatever inch test screen it's, that you have?
1: Yeah, and it's probably something that you do before you move off in the car. Actually, we probably should say that while you're stationary, you're checking your mirrors and all of that. Just when you go to park and things like that, you might want to adjust it. So. Look, you've got a lovely minimalist interior, and they have improved the build quality over the years as well. It still looks a bit patchy, the finishing in places, but generally they have improved. And it's just a nice car to live with, I have to say.
2: Okay. I'm maybe so-
1: starting to come around to the Tesla way of doing things gradually. Like-
2: I I think I'm there already, uh, if I'm being completely honest with you, Caroline. But it's kind of a, I suppose you you, it still wants some improvements. Like I'm following these threads on on the on the Twitter sphere where you know uh, people are talking about door alignments and stuff like that that just just shouldn't be Mm. spoken about. But let's move. uh, Well, actually, before we move on, we didn't. We only talked about your far test, Neil. What's your opinion of the the beep from the Tesla Model Y?
0: it's okay. I mean, it's not. It's not exceptional. It's not the old two-tone horn you used to get in a Jensen Interceptor, is it? But then again, what is? Uh, do, you, do, it's do, fine. do you know what I found completely unacceptable this week?
2: Like, I just completely shite. To be do honest tell. with you, this week it was a Toyota Camry horn
0: test that, that you did for us. Now, Neil, we're back to your love affair with Toyota Camry. Let's just play the horn test now. Right, it's time for the beep test on the Toyota Camry. So here's beep. 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 Here's beep, beep. beep, beep. And here's A hey, Buddy Beep. I it sounds a little bit tinny actually. I think that's the first thing on the camera I haven't really liked very much. That's that's for a big car like this it's a bit weedy.
2: Okay, so I called it a horn test, it's actually a beep test. My apologies, folks. Uh, the guys gave out to me while that was playing. That was terrible. You should have seen the, the dagger eyes that I was getting off both of them just there, mom, to go horn test. What are you? Um, but yes, oh my God, Caroline Kid, like, isn't this just that? What, what a just thin path- sounding beep.
1: Yeah, it's kind of pathetic, isn't it? It sounds more like a toy car. So I would have expected more from a Camry. That's a big, solid car. It should have a big, solid horn.
2: Yeah, it's right. it, it, it's a gorgeous car, but it completely lacking in bass, Neil. Like, I mean, this should be like your voice. This should be the Neil Briscoe voice, and it should be deep and resounding. And and I won't say angry, but it should be just more rotund. It's, shall we it say. should
0: be, yeah, it should be a it should be a William Conrad kind of voice. Yes. For those of you yes. who are old enough to remember William Conrad, which isn't many of you, I would imagine. Yes,
2: um, yes, yeah, yes, and uh, Neil, let, let's talk about Toyota Camry, okay? And this is the last All week right. we're going to give you with your love affair with the Toyota Camry. So <laughs> you actually had it on test drive over the last week or thereabouts. Uh, I suppose I why? Why is it now? Sorry cards on the table. Love the Camry. Always always loved the Camry. Like I'm looking at the imports that are coming in now from 2013, 2014, 2015 when we weren't uh I yeah. suppose directly sold Toyota Camrys here in Ireland. Uh, I'm looking at them kind of going, "Hmm, would I?" because they're 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 really nice. They're not as nice mm-hmm. as a new model, but what 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 has you so uh taken
0: with the Camry, because it's it, it comes down to one thing. It comes down to one thing, which is uh, years ago when we still got the Camry. So this is back in like 2004. I was driving down the M7 motorway out of Dublin, uh, heading to some appointment somewhere. I can't even remember where. And I was driving a Camry press car, and I was just cruising along, not really thinking of anything much in particular, and then realised that the entire motorway in front of me was just empty. Like people were scampering to get out of my way. And I suddenly remembered cops drive Camrys in Ireland. The Garda Traffic Corps loved their Camrys back in the day. And I, here was I driving down the outside lane of the motorway wearing a light blue shirt. probably with, you know, resting bitch face and uh, just the motorway emptied in front of my eyes. So, you know, who wouldn't want that? It's the ultimate in cruise control. You just get a motorway to yourself because you're driving the cop car. So since then, I've always loved Camrys. I I like the new one a lot. It's a big, proper four-door saloon. It's not an SUV, and that's a big reason why I love it. And that hybrid system that's in it is hugely efficient. We we, we went on a little family break last week down to Ross's Point in Sligo, uh, and the Camry 4-Up, Full of absolutely crammed with luggage, it did Belfast, Sligo, back to Belfast. Uh, you know, driving around Sligo as well, and then back down to Dublin. the The day after we got back, on on one tank of juice, and it's a small tank, it's a fifty liter tank because it's a hybrid. So it was averaging better than 50 miles to the gallon in old money. So about 5.4 liters per 100 kilometers. So it's a very, it's also a very smooth car. It's very comfortable, it's got great seats, which is the big thing for me, because I'm a bad back sufferer, so it's really comfy. They've updated the styling, they've updated the cabin a bit, it's got a new touch screen. Which is still not great because it uses the old software, which is very clunky and old-fashioned, and looks like looks like it came off a PlayStation from 1999. Um, But the quality is just exceptionally good. It just it feels like, and you know, it is a car that you you know if you buy it today, you'll be able to pass it on to your grandkids because it'll just never stop working. Nice. Yeah. Look, I'm going to pretty much
2: leave that one there. Last question on it is price.
0: Oh, the one I had was forty-eight thousand because it was the Platinum Edition one, the top spec, but they start at 40, wow. 43. Yeah, they start at 43. So it's not a cheap car. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's not overly but, priced either,
2: though. As in, it's it's a it looks like a very comfortable car. Um kind of like from what I've seen of it, like the Camry's always been the most comfortable car, outside of maybe the um the 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 Highlander we were talking about last week, but it's always been the most or sorry land cruiser what 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 car were we talking about last week that you had caroline oh
1: the highlander
2: the highlander yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's kind of um it, that that to me was always a comfortable car, but the Camry has always been comfortable. Uh, like going back as far as my memory can recall, it was like that was the posh Toyota,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and it still kind of is. Right, we're go- we're gonna move on to the interview that you did, um, Neil Briscoe, with Paddy McGee and Jeremy Warnock of Renault and Dacia Ireland uh, there during the week at the launch of the Jogger. When we come back, we'll talk about the Jogger itself. Um, but this is Neil Briscoe talking to Paddy McGee. And- And Jeremy Warnock
0: well we're sitting here with Paddy McGee and Jeremy Warnock from both Renault Ireland and Dacia Ireland we're actually at the Dacia jogger event Um, guys I want to ask you first uh, and I know Paddy you were talking about it earlier the supply issue it is affecting everybody you were slightly disappointed that nobody really asked you about it earlier and I know you're you're yeah. bursting to tell <laughs> us exactly how you're dealing with
4: this issue. How are you dealing with it? Uh, listen, the the reason I was sort of I thought it was strange because it's the first question I'm asked everywhere now. You know, not even at press gigs, but dealers, customers, and it's it's obviously the number one topic in the in the industry. How are we dealing with it? Uh, it's difficult. We have found that you know out of crisis can come some good things mm-hmm. like you know we we now have probably a better regular communication with our network which has actually helped because to be fair for whatever whatever about manufacturers and the trouble we're having with the stuff coming in the dealers are facing the real problems because they're having to explain to customers uh, on a day-to-day basis and that's difficult like it, it, you know it's difficult for us all like to be fair even in the factory it's difficult for them but where's where are we at listen uh, January was fine. We all we knew in advance that March and April was going to be really difficult for us. It gets a slight bit better for us coming into July, but I I do fear for, um, the next six to nine months because. A lot of the times with crisis, you can see the end point. You can't see the end point yet. What What is the month that it's going to be fixed? Nobody knows because of obviously, um. Uh, things that are going on outside of our industry and in the world. And and it's just, that's probably the biggest fear I have because you have dealerships and ourselves who you have to plan your fixed costs. You've got staff, you've got um costs that you, that, that are still there whether you have supply or not. So that's the, the difficult fear I would have when, you know, uh, the number one question, when's it going to be fixed, you know? Whew, uh I don't like to say this but I, I, my fear is that, I think next year's market will be the volume that we, we won't get to what we want, but we'll get close enough to. But, the seasonality could change, mm. because I don't think. Um, Do you think we'll move away from that heavy January model? Well, a bit? it might be a case of having to Neil, because we mightn't have the supply to justify it uh, across the market, because we are now fast becoming. If you think of it, that we have to order our cars six months in advance and we're now in coming into may if we're being told the same things in july january supply is going to be difficult mm. and that's the worry i have um we we are probably better on dacia to be fair yeah. um we have seen um you know it's good on on, on the dacia end of it um but on the renault it has been difficult and and i think Where at the start there was a couple of brands who had stock, now everybody is coming into the same boat. You know, we are all uh, faced with the same. Some are going to come out of it quicker than because, you know, it's all about build up and back up. And I would say the good news is there's orders being taken. Mm -hmm. So from from an industry point of view, uh, there's a lot of orders being taken customers are very much aware of supply issues now because I think they're facing it in, in everyday life now uh, if you're building a house you know that timber uh, timber's going up, steel is going up and it's in short supply so people are a bit more aware and, uh, and are a bit more accommodating but um, how long that patience will last is uh, is the big question you know, because um, that's where we're at you know.
0: Jeremy I, I mean that was an interesting thing that Paddy just said about uh, a Dacia being in a slightly better place. Is there a potential for Dacia to do better out of uh, the supply chain issues because they are less sophisticated cars in that respect they're coming with a bit less technology on board
3: it's an interesting question and it yeah well I think what you face is issues with specific components and it's the sort of thing that can strike any model or any brand at any time, you know, you're 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 woven into this global supply chain, and uh, I think at the moment we've been very fortunate with our Dacia supply and with the components that go into Dacia, um, but it's not to say there haven't been hurdles that we've had to cross a- along the way, so. Uh, you know, I think any vehicle, whether it's a, a Renault Master van or an Arcana, coming to us from Korea or or a Dacia coming from Romania, will have a lot of electronic systems on them, and it's not necessarily the big ticket items that can cause you trouble. It can be something as simple as an electric window switch or something like that, that can cause you trouble, and and that can affect any model. So, really, it's a case that. I think it's it's fair to say we've been pretty lucky with Dacia uh, and also I think um, the, the, our colleagues in Dacia have been very responsive to the Irish market seasonality and that kind of thing so they have really made sure that the, the Irish market and the Irish dealer network have been looked after very well.
0: Is there something of a, a, an effect of the Irish market seasonality that fact that we all rush out and buy our cars in January does that kind of help us in this situation a bit because we, we tend to be out of sync with the other big markets in Europe. It, it can do,
3: yeah. yeah. And, and in a way actually the, the way the seasonality of Ireland ties in with the seasonality of the UK probably suits both markets because effectively if you look at the two right-hand drive markets together you've got four peaks and they're three months apart.
0: Mm. Let's look a little bit more to the, I mean, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be through you know, the, the chip crisis and, and, and the, the crisis in Ukraine in, in due course, fingers crossed, but looking more to the future, and I know you were talking about you're getting more time with your dealer network now, which is obviously a good thing, but where, where is the Irish market evolving in that sense? I mean, can we keep sustaining a model where big brands have 20, 30, 40 dealers scattered across the country? You know, particularly when we've got new brands like Polestar, like Tesla, coming in, where they're going for minimal dealer presence but maximal online presence, and that is something that Irish consumers are cottoning onto much, much more quickly than probably any of us thought they would. You know, can we keep going down that road?
4: No, that's a short answer. Uh, and you're spot on in what you're saying. I with 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 one thing I would put in there. I think sir, at this moment in time, uh, one thing I agree with you a million percent on is the consumer in Ireland uh, is much more advanced on this than I think people give them credit for. They know what to do, they know where to go, they know the cars, the specs. They, they, come in, like, they come into a dealership, and dealers will tell you themselves. A customer, the majority of customers come into a dealership today. They know the car they want. They're basically there to facilitate a used car transaction. And, and that's what it is. Okay, you will explain and go through different things and all that So, I think that there'll be less dealers, but I think the mainstream brands will always need a presence. I think you, and, and again, I suppose, take it away from even, I don't mean, but take it away from even the consumer point of view, even from a business point of view. Um, I think, you know, the, the size of the market the level of investment you must have. I think we will have less partners, and partners will own multiple sites. And we're already seeing that. Like you know, we're seeing that you know within our network, three or four partners owning multiple sites, because you can spread your costs. Uh, there's certain synergies you can have in in the dealerships. And and, um, you know, it, down the line into the future, again, you you do need your after sales facility. It's the core of the business. You know, um, you the days i think gone by of years ago and and big glass palaces and stuff like that i do believe that day is gone neil mm-hmm. like i think um, not just because of consumer behavior for financial reasons it's gone because return on investment is uh, you need to stay in business like you know and and with the size of our car market i just i still think there's just too many there's probably too many uh, dealers in, in in the country on top of that, where does things happen in the future with cities? Um, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, 15 years ago, I had nine dealers in Dublin. Today, I have three. And we have a fleet dealership on top of it. So four outlets. Um, so, And better business has been done today uh, and service provided with those four than we have with the nine. So the problem in a lot of it is that obviously you have generations gone by and uh, i think the big questions i think people will have big questions um, to ask themselves in the coming years about the business model the return on investment which will be sad because there's some across all brands there's amazing dealers and lads and they but they just need to it'll be a really a question of is it viable you know and um, because on top of that you will have them um, in, you can see it in other countries and other brands probably will start with premium brands first where you'll have agency models exactly like what you're looking at uh, say even the poster thing and things like that so um but you've also got to remember what's good and what's bad like is one better than the other i still believe the dealer presence is better than that why because they're, they're there to look after you hmm. so i would always like a good dealer and we can see them a good dealer's presence is still minding their customers, uh, be it after sales, be it sales, because lots of things can go wrong um, and you only have to be on social media today to, to hear the issues that are with some brands if you don't have a dealer presence. So like, you know, it, it's, I still believe the dealer model is right, but in what capacity is the question?
0: One last question, and, and this is for both of you. Um, you've obviously got the new all-electric Renault Megane E-Tech coming this summer to the Irish market. Um, net of it being an impressive car in and of itself, are, are we yet at a point where the average Irish car buyer, and I'm thinking of the people who would have come in previously to buy a fairly basic petrol Megane off you previously. Mm. Are they ready for this car? Are they ready for the jump up in price? Are they ready for the jump up in technology? Are they ready for the jump to charging rather than
4: fueling? Uh, I can... Uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, listen, again, it's 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 the big question we ask ourselves every day, Neil. Um, what I think people are now starting to realise and have done really, really quickly is cost of ownership. Okay? And... It's huge. Like, you know, we often use the example, try to keep it simple, you know. We often use the example if you have 100 euros of diesel a week or petrol a week, you know, you're spending 5,000 a year on fuel. Your equivalent uh, electricity for EV will be somewhere around 500 or 600 euros, Mm -hmm. right. So how long are you going to own the car for? Three or four years. There's the savings on your fuel. But yet at the start, you are having to pay more money. So I think you can explain the cost of ownership model. Now, where we have to work and make it easier for customers is we have to change. Uh, you know, I said earlier on, for too long, the great thing about electric vehicles is and I firmly believe this, is I think it'll change the industry. I think it'll change the model. Behavior. I think customers will own cars for longer. Not good news for me, but that's the reality in life, I think it is. And I think that we' need to change the financing model. Uh, and that's where the real question will be, is on the financing model to the customer. Uh, people in Ireland didn't think PCP would work. It's now everything. Not everything, but you know what I mean. It's now you're, your, it, it, people understand it more, it makes sense. And I suppose even the people who were negative about it, they were, they were quite right to be negative because it hadn't gone through the system yet. But now people have gone through their PCPs. Now they've gone through uh, you know, uh, an actual contract and they've come out the other side to go, wow, this is actually what it says in the tin. Or in some cases, the, the GMFV might be better. Wow, that's, didn't expect that. Obviously, the crisis has helped that with uh, equity that's in cars now. But to get back and make it simple, um, what we have to try and do is change the financing model to show that there's an affordability level. Everybody talks about... Um, and I never really understand, well, I understand what they're saying, but everyone talks about price parity. I don't know what, I know what it means, but I don't, I believe that price parity should be in affordability, as in your monthly payment, because what the Irish consumer wants to know is every week or every month, how much money is coming out of my back pocket for my car? That's the real question, you know. People can, you can do everything in advertising and, you know, but that's the reality, that's the question you must come back to. So we're looking at it now. We obviously have our own bank here. So we are, I would say, we have the ability to do it, to, to look at these things quicker, to change, to try things. Like, we, you know, we've, we've, we've now changed duration of PCPs because we believe that customers will hold on to the EV longer. So by, by extending that length of the PCP, like the normal PCP in Ireland would be 36 months, we've put it out to 39 months as a test. It means it's less money each month for the customer. It is a longer period, but the, the, the guaranteed future minimum value is quite similar. It's, almost, it's, almost, it's similar. almost the same, but it's now making it a bit more affordable for a customer. So they're the challenges we have. Um, I think a bit like PCP, once a cons- once a customer owns an EV, they'll never change back. I think, um, if I can if I can give an honest bit of uh you know we all talk about feedback and sometimes you know I can give I can give live feedback even on, on you know my own family and sisters who who you know diesel was their life in Wicklow like you know two of them are in EVs now and it's only when I think when you drive it you're into your car you know your stuff and it's only when you drive it and you come out the other end you say. Well, it does actually work. And yeah. obviously fuel prices and all this is, is the killer at the moment. But, yeah, listen, it's, it, it's not for everyone. Like, you. what I can't understand is, and maybe this is a bit... Maybe I shouldn't say this, but anyway, I'll say it. Um, I look at programs, like, on, on TV, and it's like there's a constant... We've got to prove the negatives of EV before we actually talk about the positives. And I had this argument with somebody one day. Ah, yeah, but... What if I'm driving to Kerry and back and I don't have the range? That was the, you know, the first initiative. And I said, yeah, well, then the car is not for you. But likewise, what about if you had seven kids? Would you try and get into a Clio? So there's a reason all cars are not the same, because customer needs are all different. So yes, not 100% of the market is ready for EV yet, but it's getting there. And it is, maybe it's not for everybody yet, but it's getting there. And I think that's what people need to realise. And it annoys me because we're always... <clears throat> we're, we're, they look at the industry to talk about climate change, and we want to look at climate change. But yet these people always put obstacles in the way of the infrastructure. Yes, the infrastructure could be better. Yes, we need to keep pressure not to get it better. But we are getting better. And I think we need to put a bit of positivity around the, the, the whole thing, that we are improving. And why i think we've missed a trick by these tv programs is we like the question you asked need on affordability if these programs were actually showing customers that here's the running cost a live example here's the running cost here's the cost when you buy it but here's something you can do in financing making it explaining that it is affordable or it is to maybe that might help the whole system maybe that might help uh, people get on board with them and then help the climate change and then help to lower the emissions instead of the constant like it actually annoys me sometimes when i turn on the pro because i know when i hear electric vehicles coming up on a program i know they're going to talk about range and the infrastructure and for me range is not a discussion anymore it, it it it's it's not like you know so that's my view on it so yeah
3: look i'd, I'd back that up and i'd say that you know you, you ask the question are people ready evs and ready for charging and that kind of thing and what i'd say is you know i'd say the majority of people in ireland are ready but they don't know they're ready and you never get a better example of that than what patty was talking about with his family members or me with my parents who are now on their third zoe now you would hear any program you care to mention on rte saying things like evs are great for cities they're not great for rural dwellers so when will they be ready my parents live 20 miles from Galway City in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, they're actually the ideal customers. Um,
4: You're yeah. lucky they're buying Renaults. Absolutely.
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're third Zoe. Uh, they charge at home because, like most rural people, they have a driveway. They, they come up to see me and the family in Dublin on a fairly regular basis. And I'm like, that's 230-odd kilometres. They just jump in. They don't think about the infrastructure because they have a full car when they leave home. They get to my house. They plug in when they're staying overnight. And habit, th- isn't
4: it? It's a habit thing, isn't it? it I find that. Yeah. Uh,
3: and, uh, you know. and like I, I, I've, I'm at the point now where I get into a petrol or diesel car, drive it around for a few days, see it hitting empty, and I think, oh my god, I have to go to a petrol station. Mm. What a pain!
4: Yeah. It 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 does become habit, doesn't it? I find yeah. that like you just, it's a bit like the phone uh and, and I'm probably I'm probably overcharged stuff yeah. like I, I I go home each evening it's habit now I, I'm not going to be going up to the football field grand plug it in I'm done for the night where I I probably don't need to be charged as much as I'm charging is what I'm saying I'm constantly topping up like you know but it's just habit it's it's that's the way it is right? and it's yeah it's it's a different it's a, like you know the Renault and the EV and the Renault is 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 one end of the direction we're going and obviously Dassey is a is a t- is is another direction on it, and both of different roadmaps and exciting roadmaps, you know, because, like even today, like with the Jagger, like, like I'm so excited with the Dacia brand, like for me, Dacia brand is my fun, it's my, it's the most simplistic thing that we've ever did, it's simplistic from an investment, it's simplistic from a model lineup, and it's done so well for us here, like that. I think the future is really really bright for. Us. I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: You know, brilliant. Paddy, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today. Neil, cheers, thanks, mate you.
2: Thank you. Okay, so Neil, that was uh, you guys at the launch uh, there for the Dacia
0: Jogger during the week. Um, that that was, was a bit it, of a serious interview. I need I need to seriously lighten up uh, when it comes to interviewing people.
2: Well, I I particularly like the chimes, the bell chiming at the start of the interview. Yes. It was like round one, ding ding ding. Um. Have,
0: have we not heard the chimes at midnight?
2: Yeah. But look, look. There's obviously there, there are. It's not just Stasi. It's not just Renault who are suffering from, let's say, um, the, the let's call it logistics at the moment. This is happening with every brand worldwide. So I'm not going to go too deeply into that. But moving on from that, you wrote an article during the week, Neil, regarding uh, the end cap, uh, specifically around the jogger itself, and I think you had mm-hmm. mentioned the Zoe as well. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, maybe I'm wrong there. Um, what's the story there?
0: Well the Jogger the new Dacia Jogger got a very poor uh, score from Euro NCAP the the independent crash test people got one star which is pretty terrible on the face of it but it, when you start digging a little deeper it all gets a bit weird because NCAP did not actually test the Jogger they took data from Dacia about the car and they extrapolated how it would perform in a crash test based on the fact that it and the smaller sandero hatchback share a common structure and the what they came up with was a one star score now there's a couple of things with that one is it 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 worries me just from a scientific point of view, that they're extrapolating data to come up with test results. Because that's not a test result. That's an extrapolation of a previous result in a, in a somewhat related car, a car that's much smaller and about 200 kilos lighter, incidentally. So the jogger is clearly going to perform differently. Maybe better, maybe worse. Who knows? But that's the problem. We're asking the question, who knows? Because we don't know because they haven't actually taken one and slammed it into a wall like they do with other cars on that test. Um, And the other issue is that NCAP keeps moving its goalposts. So the problem is that a five-star car from four years ago or five years ago, which is still fundamentally a very safe car, now won't get five stars, might not even get two stars. Because it hasn't kept up with the developments in electronic safety assistance. And I think that they're being a bit disingenuous in terms of putting all of the onus on electronic safety aids and less onus on the actual physical ability of the car to protect you in an impact. Um, and I think that's, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying that one aspect is better or worse than the other aspect. I'm saying, that NCAP is not being clear enough in how it rates both sides of the coin. And it really, you know, if it wants to be providing information to consumers, it needs to be so much clearer and simpler and more upfront in how it does these things. Because to be honest with you, like that, that jogger, I reckon, you know, you look at the way the Sandero performed in the crash test, um, you know. The structure holds up. The front door is still open. The airbags deploy correctly. You know, both of those cars are losing out because they don't have high-end safety systems that are loaded onto bigger, heavier cars. And these smaller, lighter, more efficient cars—you know, lower CO2 cars—are getting marked down because they don't have the expensive toys on them. And I think that's a serious issue that we need to be looking at.
2: What, what, Sorry, the
0: I'll things, get off my soapbox now. No, no,
2: no. But, but, but one of the things, and it's, it's kind of, I, I'm not being critical of you, Neil, but it, it's one thing, when you're looking at the Euro end cap, though, don't, don't they break it down by kind of a, in different areas? Uh, and I suppose my question for you would be and I'll be honest with you I didn't look at the NCAP breakdown for these particular cars uh, and look sorry let's talk specifically about the jogger and Zoe uh, especially the jogger sorry there's absolutely no reason it's a completely different car it may be sitting on the same platform or whatever but it's a completely different car it's heavier I would assume unless they change their metal structure within the vehicle itself it's got more seats uh, It's it's got all this stuff going on so absolutely it deserved its own test but when you're, you're mentioning of the let's say the the electronic safety equipment or the computerised or technological safety equipment within the vehicles themselves, when NCAP are doing their tests, are they not breaking them down by areas? So that would be more your kind of more um, non-technical safety equipment and then your, your adas your your extra safety your yeah your blinkers when a car is approaching that type of stuff uh, if it's...
0: you if you go in and read the full report that they they include yeah it, 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 theoretically in terms of the way it protects its occupants in an impact a jogger would pro would, would certainly a three-star maybe edging a four-star car uh and it's losing out because it doesn't have some of the higher end advanced electronic drive rates it loses out because it doesn't have isofix connectors for child seats in the third row the seats that are in the boot so it's losing out on really quite small and i would suggest somewhat insignificant things um so and and, you know and you're not going to know that unless you actually go in and read read the full report and this is always my problem with star ratings for anything they're a massively blunt instrument they don't tell you the full story True, true. That, but, but, but there can be
2: no. Sorry, I feel like I'm arguing for the sake of arguing here at the moment. So this is not like it's just thoughts coming to my mind. And I can't control them sometimes, Neil. Um, but look, let let's take for example, um, a super safe car, uh, with okay, good structure, good support around the car itself, ISO fixed seats in the back and all the rest. Okay, so that would have been a five star car years ago. But then you get all this extra ADAS coming in. OK, that's coming in every year, all the times, constantly updating, becoming safer and safer for different reasons. So as I mentioned earlier on that the the the. Um The blinkers, I I can't think of the right term to let you know somebody's approaching you from the side that appear on your your wing mirror. can't think of the name of it. I do know the term, but can't think of it. Uh, That type of stuff doesn't mean should we be considering a six star rating now? Look, the star rating is there to stay, but there are safer cars than there were five years ago. And the Mm. bad news for the ones from five years ago, while they still may be good on impact and I hate talking about stuff like this, while they still may be good on impact are they as good at, I suppose, avoiding collision?
1: But you see, a lot of these things, I mean, you shouldn't have a driver's license if you don't know how to check your wing mirrors when you're changing lanes, you know. You should know how to stay within the lines on a motorway. You shouldn't need the car to keep you in the lines, you know. But
2: but Caroline, with, with respect to every driver in the world, to a certain degree, a car manufacturer has to assume that mm. maybe you you're know. not that person. Um, look, sorry, I've been become really argumentable on this. I don't mean to. Caroline Kidd, I want to ask you, you were at the jogger launch during the week, okay? So, end cap aside, what's this car like?
1: Well, it seems to be amazing value. It's a seven-seater family car that goes on sale priced from €23,000 to 290000 seven seats inside and you can let down the two uh, seats at the very rear and you can have this huge boot as well you can turn it into a van effectively drop the third the second row of seats as well so it is basic in terms of I suppose its interior and the way it drives but it's fine you know and this these new generation dossiers have Moved up in the world in terms of the equipment that's on the cars. There is a lovely eight inch touchscreen on the the mid-range car that goes on sale for about 25,000 euro. There's even some soft touch materials, which never thought we'd see those in Adacia. So they've come a long way.
2: Okay. And Neil Briscoe, like for what it is, for its price. And I have to say, like, I am so impressed. And I'm only looking at the pictures you guys are driving it. Like, this is, would you agree or disagree? Amazing bang for the book.
0: Oh, no, I 100% agree. And it's a really good, solid, it's exactly what you expect from Dacia. It's a good, solid, sensible car. What I really loved about it was the fact that, you know, Okay. I know you folks can't see me, but these guys can. I'm a big, chunky, six foot and a bit guy, uh, and I'm you know not small. I shop in the grande section of shops, um, but I can fit in the third row. And I don't just mean squeeze in. I mean I can get comfortable in the third row, and I think that's hugely impressive because if you look at, say, just pulling an example out of thin air, Skoda Kodiak SUV seven seater. Literally twice the price. I can't get in the back row of a seven-seat Kodiak. I, I I can just about cram my knees in, but there is no room for my feet. Uh, it's the the jogger for half the money. I can fit in the back very happily. Um, I drive to Cork and back in the back of that thing, and I wouldn't have any complaints. And it's quite nice to drive too. It's got a nice little revy one-liter engine. Uh, it corners quite happily. Uh, it you know it's not a ball of fire. It's not a it's not an Audi e-tron RS Quattro. But it's not supposed to be. It's you know, it's it's a it's a good sensible family car, and I love that Dacia has brought back the good solid seven seat family MPV. It's not an SUV, even though they've tried to make it look ever so slightly like one. But it's actually quite light. It's a twelve hundred kilo car, um, and there is a hybrid version coming next year, which is also quite nice. Which I suspect will be a very nice car. Um so yeah, I did forget the NCAP rating. It's a really nice machine. And, and if you've got a family yeah. and you need the space, go go out and buy one. And
2: by the sounds of things The NCAP rating Does need to be revisited And hopefully NCAP Will see sense On these things And actually look at it It's a completely different card I, I can't believe There's even a discussion there About uh, it being the same As Sandero um, Anyway Look moving on from that uh, Right guys uh, We're about to wrap up But before we do just, just give me one second I have to find it here Where's my screens Too many screens Okay uh, It's time for, It's quiz time It's quiz time Okay So the way we're going to do this um car- Caroline Kidd, OK, you're based in Wexford, uh, so mm-hmm. I'm about to insult some people here. This is finger on the buzzer, so I have to give you both a buzzer, OK? So for you, Caroline Kidd, what you have to say is, I am not a culture. OK? If I want to answer, that. is it? If you want to answer, I am not a cultie and whoever I hear first gets <laughs> in. Uh, Neil Briscoe, for you is, I don't like the
0: Camry, OK? No! No, I refuse. <laughs> I, I, I well, point then, blank then, refuse. Uh, How right, do you, right. Where's the Where's the off button on Zoom?
2: <laughs> Hang on. Okay, so anyhow, here goes. All right, fastest uh, fingers uh, first. Whoever's quickest on the buzzer, and you know what your buzzers are. Okay, which animal features in the logo for Lamborghini? I'm not a colchi. Caroline. A bull. Okay, what was the original color for all Ferrari models?
0: Uh, I I love Camrys, Neil. I'm guessing red but I yeah mean, yeah it was, it was a trick question
2: you're welcome of Corsa yeah what iconic car manufacturer also made airplane engines
1: I'm not a coach oh, um, uh, Caroline Kidd what was right
2: <laughs> Neil's forgotten what to say <laughs> <laughs> no I just okay. don't want to say it question no you, you can say I love Camry okay um, who was a driver for Alfa Romeo before founding his own company Oh, uh, bleh, I love Camrys. New Briscoe. Enzo Ferrari. Enzo Ferrari. Okay, what is the world's all-time best-selling car?
1: Uh! I'm not a Colt
2: Yes. Corolla. Absolutely. Okay, uh, what is the best-selling electric car in history? I'm not a Colt Oh, uh, Go for yeah, it, uh... Caroline Kidd. Leaf. Nope. Oh, I love Uh, Camrys. Zoe? Nope. Uh, So second place is Leaf, with in around 500,000. Zoe, third place, in around 300,000. But with 1.1 million, according to the Google Sphere, uh, it's Tesla Model 3.
1: Wow, Wow! that's amazing. Okay.
2: In such a short uh, time. Yeah, now folks, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what Google told me, okay? Uh, I'll go in and ask Alexa now in a few moments. Okay, uh, Japanese car company, Toyota was originally established as a textiles manufacturer. True or false?
1: I'm not a culture.
2: I'm not a culture. Uh Caroline Kidd. False. True. Uh, sorry, I was going to flip over to Neil, but the only other answer is true. Uh, what is the oldest car company still in business today? I'm not oh, a coachy. Um, Caroline Kidd. Mercedes-Benz. Wow, you are on a roll. Uh, extra bonus point if you can tell me the year. Oh gosh. 1886. Oh, I I oh, Caroline was so close into Neil Briscoe. Uh, it was 1886, wasn't it? I've got an 1883 here. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> Forgive oh, me okay. all over the shop. And the last question. What was the name given to the orange 1969 Dodge Charger in the television series *The Dukes of Hazzard*?
0: I love Camrys. Neil Briscoe. Are we allowed to say this name anymore? Is it not a bit, you know, politically incorrect? I, I okay, don't know. It's, it's it's the General Lee. It is. It is what it is. That's the but name always... of the car. But I always preferred Ulysses S. Grant. So there you go. Just for, for, balance, for balance. There you go.
2: And the winner of this week's competition is the legend that is Miss Caroline Kid. Caroline, Yay. well done. And you are... Absolutely. The winner. We will send your trophy to you in okay. the post. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> another week, another podcast done. Please keep listening. Please share. Please like. Please follow. Uh, and as I think I mentioned earlier on, we're now on Stitcher, Reason FM. We're on Apple Podcasts, soon to be on Google Podcasts, hopefully next week. We're on Spotify, Anchor, and we're trying our best to get to anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends, tell them to follow Surprise uh, and, and all that share and all that other stuff as well. Hit the like button. Too, which is really important, uh, Caroline Kid. Have an awesome week. Can't wait to see what you're driving next week. Neil Briscoe, you stay a classy San Diego. Um, yes, that's it. All have a very good week. I love cameras.
1: I'm not a chief. <laughs> <laughs>